Thank you, Veronica, for sharing. It is indeed an encouragement to see how the Lord has used you and the different people there to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And we do hope and pray that the Lord um, will cause growth in their hearts and the people will find their family um, prime, first and foremost in the Lord, that they might not have a parent that they have wanted or the life that they wanted, but they can have a new life in the Lord. In fact, let's, let's pray for them right now before we go into time of studying the word of God. Father God, we are so thankful that you brought Veronica back and how you used her uh, during her time in Mexico. Do pray for the saints there, there and are uh, serving there that you will use them in a very unique way uh, that would show them the, the love of Christ in their, in their context. Lord, we know that the gospel goes is, is not tr um, bounded by barriers or borders. It goes all over the world, and we're thankful that you've raised up people to be able to minister to, to these orphans, Lord. Lord, we ask that for all the little kids that are there, that are hearing your word, um, that they experience your love through this church, that they see this church um, as a place where it's a, a little foretaste of what heaven would be like. Lord, may you cause growth in that area, and we know that you're working in the lives of many people throughout the world without our knowledge, Lord, that we, and then for that we praise you and worship you more because of it. Thank you for allowing us to hear uh, how you use Veronica, and may you just continue to give not just her, but for all of us a heart to, to minister to those that are afflicted and those that are lost um, and those who are in desperate need of you, Lord. We praise you in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please open it to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. We're actually going to jump over through a lot of scriptures a lot, but I'm going to eventually get to Proverbs. So far in our little dating series, we've gone through things like why we're going through a dating series, what singleness means, what uh, marriage looks like, and even why we shouldn't date non-Christians. And today we're going to talk about a topic called biblical friendship. And friendships, we understand, are a blessing from the Lord. Um, this is a lot of ways a, an add-on or a continuation from the lesson that we learned several weeks ago about singleness. Uh, remember that says singleness is not a curse. It is actually a blessing. It is considered the better gift. Um, and remember how I said how singleness is actually the thing that's going to pass into eternity, whereas marriage is confined to this life and to the person you're with in this life, and even and it doesn't go to eternity. You're not going to go into heaven uh, with a wedding ring. Uh, naked, you come into the world, and naked, you leave the world. And there, and that's the same way with your marriage. You're not going to bring that into heaven with you. So there's this uniqueness and this, um, a lot of ways, this eternality of singleness. It's, it's the, it is the state that will last forever. But yet, at the time that we have now, we should be thankful to the Lord for the friends that he's given us. Friendships are crucial in everyday life. I think the pandemic has taught us that, you know, we miss being with our friends. We love, we, we, we miss hanging out and spending time with them. Um, being a good friend is like essentially being a good sibling. The Bible describes a lot of ways as biblical friendship and kind of parallels with being a good brother and sister in the faith. The friends you have in your life should be treated as if they are your siblings because Whatever conflict that you might go through, whatever difficulty, your siblings or your brothers and sisters in Christ are family. And I think that's a picture that God wants us to have. If you have siblings, you understand this. You know, no matter how much conflict you might have, no matter how, much, um, you know, how mean they are to you at times, at the end of the day, you guys are still family. 
girls how bad they are, how, how dumb they can be. They, are, they will always be your family. Even if you disagree with them, they'll still be your family. And that's the way with the church, and that's the way the church is supposed to be. Oftentimes we call each other brothers and sisters, or we say we're the, the church family, and that's supposed to convey the same unconditional love towards one another. Some of you may have trouble with your siblings, but no matter what, you get, your bond can never break completely because you guys are family. And how much more for us as the church? We are the family of God. At the best and worst and moments of, of, of grave sin and moments of holiness, moments of great joys and sorrows, we are all a family. Siblings will be siblings because they are bounded in one family. We're united together in Christ. One of the things... I don't know how it started in our family, but I think it's Kelly because it seems like a very wise thing to do. Um, but when our kids fight, one of the things that we try to make them do afterwards is that we make them ask, ask for forgiveness, and then they have to give each other a hug, and it's often kind of awkward and adorable at the same time because, you know, Ruby's bigger than Nicholas, and you know, Nicholas just kind of like, just like lunges and like, you know, pats on Ruby, and Ruby's like petting his head and stuff like that. And this is a way for us to train them to say, like, okay, yes, you guys... Uh, may have been mean, yes, you were being silly and unloving, but in the end of the day, you have to learn to forgive and love because Jesus loved us. And this particular topic of biblical friendship is important in this dating series because we need to understand that we are, uh, we are the family of God. And there's a reality to this that some of you will not find a spouse. I talked about in the, in the, in the singleness message that yeah, it could be true that the, in God's divine providence and plan is not for you to find a spouse. But that doesn't mean that you cannot be a good friend. You can be a good friend now. You can, be, you can have these biblical friendships that are rich in Christ and can be a blessing to one another. A good friend is hard to find and even harder to become. In the Old Testament, God has described his relationships with Moses as if he was a friend. This is in Exodus 33, 11. He said he spoke to Moses face to face as if a, well, just like a way a friend would speak to one another face to face. The most obvious example in the Old Testament is obviously David and Jonathan. And sometimes I think people think Jonathan and David are like the same age, but actually Jonathan is older than David. Um, it's almost like the relationship between Bill and myself. He's older than I am. Um, that's what it was like for David and Jonathan. And Jonathan and David, the reason, what grounded their love for one another is actually their love for God. They had this affection to honor the Lord of their life. Because remember, Saul was the king for a while, and then when he realized, when, when God said, no, I'm going to bring another per person in, that means that Jonathan could no longer be king. He was supposed to be Saul's successor, but then he realized, okay, God had other plans, and it was this guy named David, and what David and Jonathan shared was this love for the glory of God. The New Testament epistles, this language of families often described in the church. Paul often began his letters in describing himself as a brother and talk to different people in the church as family. He would address them as brothers even when they're confronting sin. Romans chapter 14, verse 10, he says, but you, but you why do you judge your brother? Um, in verse 13, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this not to put a stumbling block in a brother's way. Uh, verse 15, for it is because of food your brother is hurt. You're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food, uh, your food him for whom Christ died. 
And this is all in the context of Christian liberty. He's telling them to not break their fellowship, uh, do not try to break the unity and the bond that they have in their you know, familial relationship over, over Christian liberties. Paul talks about, again, in 1 Corinthians 7, we, this is a passage that we talked about before. He addressed people as, as brothers and sisters. But to the rest I say, not Lord, but if any brother has a wife whom is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. Uh, verse uh, 15 of 1 Corinthians 7, Yet the, if the unbeliever leave, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called them to peace. He also used sisters as well. Romans chapter 16 Verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria. First Timothy chapter 5, Paul gives instructions about how people are supposed to conduct, or Timothy is supposed to conduct around ladies in the church. He says, um, the older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity. This means that, and this is not just Paul, and, and John in the end of 3 John speaks of the same thing as well. He uses... They, they intentionally use this brother and sister language because that's what we are. In the church, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And a side note, this is actually why the church was persecuted in the early, in the, in the, first, few, uh, in the first century because they assumed that Christians were all a bunch of incest people. Uh, they believed in incest and they drink blood and they were cannibalistic because Christians will oftentimes call each other or identify each other, oh, this is my brother or this is my sister. Uh, this is my brother. And they didn't understand what that meant, but the church did. They understood that the person that they're with in Christ are their brothers and sisters. Again, the church is the family of God. It needs to be cherished. It needs to be defended. We need to fight for it to keep, to keep uh, our family together, just like any other family. I think sometimes it is danger. There's a danger when we talk about, you know, when we were in the context of the dating series and we're talking about what you need to be, uh, sometimes people read books that are saying like, okay, here's all these like marriage type books that you read. And, and I understand there's some practical wisdom to it, but sometimes people focus on the wrong thing. They focus like, okay, uh, a husband has to do all of these things. So they try to implement them in their lives, assuming that they, even first of all, they assume they'll even get married. And then second of all, that, that marriage is all about these little structural things. And I think those things are fine, but I think what's more important is your character. You know, can you be a good friend? Because if you could be a good friend, then chances are, if you get married, that you'll also be a good spouse. Again, if God chose you to be part of God's family, God chose you to be part of the family, that means we need to learn to cherish one another as family in the, in the, in the whole, as a church. We see, should see each other as family in brothers and sisters in Christ. If, you, if God chose you and other believers to be part of God's family, that means that all of us are siblings, and you can't choose who to be in the, you know, who's, who's in the church as well. Now, I know, like, yes, you can choose which church you go to, but in the grand scheme of all things, the people that are in your church are there because God has placed them there. So, you know, don't see the person next to you like, okay, that, I don't like that person. I wish that person would go, some, go away. No, the Lord redeemed that person, brought them in from, you know, sin to life. Therefore, we need to cherish them because we were brought from de death to life because of what Christ had done. And I think Proverbs is an excellent book in terms of knowing what makes a good friend. You know, I, think, I hope you just, in this, by this introduction, you understand the importance of friendship, that the Bible speaks of it and uses this language, and we need to view ourselves not just as attendees of a church, 
right? There's a tendency in our mindset, and especially in this consumeristic mentality that, oh, well, this is just a place that I go to. This is just a social club. No, no, no. The church is way, it's, it's more real and, and it's, it's more than that. We are a family. And the way that we talk to each other, the way we interact with each other, needs to be grounded in God's word so that we can learn to treat each other in the way that God wants us to treat each other. And I think this particular topic on biblical friendship is important because when I think when we t- when you think about this topic, sometimes you're thinking about, well, how can I be friends with the, someone of the opposite gender, right? Like that's like you know how to be friends with people that are just your own gender, but how can I be a good friend to my sister or my brother in the faith? And I think Proverbs gives you those principles so that you know how to interact with whoever in the church, whether they're older than you or younger than you or the opposite gender or life stage. Proverbs gives you gives us all a good guideline in terms of what we need to be so that we can learn how to be a good friend. You need to see each other, again, as more than just people attending a building, but you need to see each other as attending like a, like, as like a family gathering. So how can I be a better friend or a, brother, or a better brother or sister in the faith? Again, that's a good question as a worthy pursuit. Again, this list I'm going to give, there's like, I don't know, 15, or maybe not, maybe it's like 10 or so. It's not exhaustive, but at least it just gives you some guidelines. I, I was trying to read through the whole book of Proverbs this week, and I got pretty far, but not far enough for me to finish the whole thing. But I've gathered enough verses to just try and at least give to you so you, you can think about how you can improve to be a better friend or better brother and sister in the faith. But I'm going to divide my points into two huge points, and one is this. is the, What makes a terrible friend? What makes a bad friend or a bad brother or sister in Christ? And then on the other end, what makes a good brother and sister in Christ? So those are two big outlines, but within one category, I'm going to list different things. So we'll go with the first one, first category. We'll, go, we'll start with the negative and then we'll go with the positive. Um, because I, I want to end it a good note. I want to end with you guys feeling bad about yourself. Um, again, this is not an exhaustive list, and this is not saying that all of you are like this. I just want you to just see what the Proverbs have to say, and you can need to evaluate your own heart and see where you need to work on. So what makes a bad brother and sister in Christ? The first one is this. They are overly dependent on you. That's a weird thing to start with. But I think it's important that Proverbs speaks of that. Proverbs 25, verse 17. I'm going to jump over all over the place. I'll read you the verse, but if you can't get flip to it in time, at least just write it down so you can look at it later. And I'll read it to you. Uh, Proverbs 25, verse 17 reads this. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, or he will become weary of you and hate you. <laughs> uh, this is just a, a proverb that Solomon's giving to his son. He's saying, like, look, just understand that if you have friends or neighbors, it's okay to be in their home. But just don't, be, don't, don't overstay your welcome because they, they, they're trying to be kind to you, but you need to be self-aware not to try to take away all of their time uh, because eventually you become a burden to them. Uh, I think he's, he's not referring to people that are like in desperate need of help. I think people that, that, you know, that need it uh, that are perfectly compliant. I don't think that's the context here. He's speaking of people that are obviously self-sufficient enough but are constantly going to their neighbor's house and just trying to stay over, thinking that they're always welcome. And again, there is a level of hospitality that's needed, but there has to be an understanding that it takes a lot for the, the host to constantly host you. you know, a terrible friend, a person that's always a, a, a bad friend in this context, they're, always, they're like almost like a parasite. They're just constantly taking from other people and always relying on other people, but never giving back. The proverb here seems to indicate that this person just takes and takes and takes, and he said, don't do that, don't overstay your welcome, or you become weary, 
or they become weary of you and they might hate you because of it. Okay, this is wise in the sense of just under just social context, right? You understand that when you ask for favors, when you're trying to ask people for help, understand that it, it costs them something for them to help you. And I'm sure a lot of you are willing to help, but just at least have that understanding that a good friend is mindful of, of, of what, what it demands of other people when they're asking for help. You want to be the opposite, though. You want to be a blessing to other people. And this isn't to say you can't ask for help, but just have some self-awareness of the people that are helping you is going to cost them to a certain extent. A person that lacks this kind of self-awareness that they're constantly being a drain to other people is going to make them not have a lot of friends because they go from one person to another and then another and another, and it's hard to keep up with the demands of the individual. You want to be self-reliant, and this isn't to say you can't help, ask for help. That's not what I'm trying to say. Just understand, just be more self-aware and be mindful of the other person when you're, when you're asking people for help. A person that's constantly depending on others is, is, is basically a drain. It will make them a bad friend. Next, another uh, attribute of a bad friend is that they're lazy. Proverbs speaks a lot about laziness, but I'm just going to highlight a few. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26 reads this. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to, who, to those who send him. This is to say that those who employ lazy people, they're a burden to them. Uh, they're bound to regret it because they're unreliable. They're always, again, they're lazy, so they can't get things done. They'll say they'll do it later, or they'll wait a few minutes. Oh, yeah, give us, I'll do it next time. I'll wait, so I'll get there. Uh, but they never get to it because they're lazy. Uh, it's called vinegar to a teeth. This is basically, vinegar is acidic, and, it's, and this, the idea is like if you have like a cavity and then you drink vinegar, it's, it's like it pains you. Uh, Bill's like, look at me, like he's a dentist, so I don't know that. Oh, Bill's a dentist too. I don't know if, if this is actually accurate. But I'm imagining in the back, back then that's how they thought, and because, yeah, vinegar to a teeth is like it's bad if, you, if you're it's just acidic, and it causes great pain to the person. Or he's described as smoke to the eyes, which is something that just irritates someone. And a lazy friend is a useless friend. If you are a lazy friend, you wouldn't be trusted upon to do things. Again, that's because you will be unreliable. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 19, it said, Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in a time of trouble. If you're lazy, you're not going to be effective when, during times of desperate need. Um, you're just unreliable. Uh, because you just think, okay, I'll, I'll get there eventually. Okay, give me, or you get a call, and it's like, oh, well, uh, someone else will help. That's a sign of laziness, and that's, and that's a sign of, of, of an unreliable friend. A lazy person is lazy because they essentially idolize rest. They don't care about worshiping God and honoring him with their, uh, with their lives. You know, they cherish their pleasure and their rest, so they're lazy. Their God is not the God of their Bible, but their God is their own comfort. And if you're a lazy person, God is not the one that you serve. At the end of the day, it's really just you're serving yourself. You're serving for your own rest. And a lazy person makes a bad friend. One way this manifests is just a lack of interest in developing relationships with other people. Because sometimes in a church, there's always this feeling that why can't people just come and minister to me? Why, why, can't, I just, why, can't, I just be why can't people just pour into me? And that's really a sign of laziness because you're, not, you're saying, like, I don't want to take initiative. I don't want to try to develop those friendships. I don't want to call people. I don't want to invest in other people's lives. It's easy to be catered to and have people invest in you, but it takes hard work to pour out into other people. It requires you to not be lazy. 
Again, a lazy friend isn't a good friend. So if you want to be a, a bad friend, you first you be you have to be you know, always relying on other people. You have to be lazy. And next, you have to just be a very angry person. You have to be very angry. We have no self-control. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 19. He says, a man of great anger will bear the penalty, but if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. Yeah, this shows you that the people that get in trouble for the anger, you know, they, they get in a fight with someone, and your friend try to protect them, you'll find yourself having to do it again. It's not just this one-time ordeal. Proverbs 22, verse 24, do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Angry people are not good friends. Um, you find that the people that are usually the, that have no self-control or people that are most angry, they're usually alone because they're fighting with everyone around them. People that are easily triggered or easily get angry, they, again, they have no sense of self-control. They're, they're moved by their emotions. They're not controlled by what's what the Bible has to tell them in terms of what is right, they just do whatever they want at the, at the, at the heat of the moment. Anger gets you, in, gets you and, and makes other people in trouble. They say, they, they say or do things that they wish they could take back. Something that is said in the heat of moment or something that's done in the heat of moment it could be very irrational. When I, was, when I was younger, I remember my sister was trying to get her driver's license. And at the time, the DMV booklet, it, it has a, not a law, but a suggestion that said that if you're angry, you shouldn't be driving. And I'm like thinking, like, clearly no one has read this. That should be on a question on the exam. But there's like road rage, right? Like people are just so angry. They do crazy things on the road. But if they were just to calm down, this is something that they would never do. Anger makes you very hard to get along with. And it's hard to be a good friend when you're angry all the time. Now, does this describe you? Do you find yourself having some sort of short fuse when things don't go your way? Uh, this is often the reason why people get angry is that they don't get what they want at the moment and they take it out on all those people around them. The Bible tells us not to think about our own needs or, and put other people's preference above our own. Again, this isn't to say that you can't have a rightful anger. Um, that's not what I think anger is saying. It's just saying that you just have no control of your anger. That you can be angry. The Bible speaks of how we could, we, you know, we, can ang we could be angry and do not sin. But oftentimes, we just slip into sin, isn't it? Like, don't we? Like we, we, we just get in the heat of the moment. We, get, we say things or we do things that are obviously not Christ-like. And oftentimes, unchecked anger leads us to violence. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, it says, And then let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on, your heart, on the, on the tablet of, of your heart so you'll find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 29. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Um, there's this understanding 
that anger is always the thing that leads to violence. When one of the children's songs that, uh, or the children's show that, that we let our kids watch called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And there's this episode where the main character, he's like a talking tiger. He has like, he's friends with people, but he gets angry and he wants to like push this kid. And it was scary. I was like watching with Ruby and he's like, he, like the, the, can, the camera pans in his face and he's a tiger. So he's like all like angry and stuff. He started walking to another kid and it looks like he's about to push him. I was like freaking out, like trying to close Ruby's eyes. Like, don't, don't do it. Don't do it, Daniel Tiger. And then the teacher comes and he's like, no, stop. And there's a song that goes like, it's okay to be angry, but it's not not okay to hurt someone. Even a child understands that if their anger is unchecked, it will lead to violence. And it's true, again, Christians can be rightfully mad, but if that is unchecked, that will lead to things that will be very violent towards other people. If the anger fester eventually will hurt others. There is a connection between your anger and the way that you uh, want and, and the desire to attack other people. Violent towards others is not okay. It's, it's, it's a sin. And violence towards others are really expressing the anger that you have in, on the inside. It's a way to kind of force other people to give you what you want. And if you want to be a good friend, you cannot have your way all the time. You can't be angry at people, and if, if that anger festers and you're just letting it kind of boil in your own heart, eventually you will take it out physically on other people. This is not a type of person you want to be. An angry person is an unwise person. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. In other words, a person who is angry all the time or someone who does violence a lot is a stupid person. They have no understanding of, of the situation. If you're someone that is struggles with anger or violence, you need to get rid of those things in your life. You need to put off anger and violence and put on peace, which is what the Christian life is supposed to be. We put on peace. We put off anger. We let those things go because that's what we are supposed to be. And if you, are, if you want to have a godly biblical friend in your life or other people in your life, you need to check your own anger because that makes you a terrible friend. So we talked about anger, we talked about laziness, we talked about over-relying on other people. We also, this next one here. A terrible friend is short-sighted. A terrible friend in short, is short-sighted. And I might go into the list a little bit longer, but we'll see. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 20 to 21. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and the drowsiness will clothe one with rags. This is essentially talking about someone that lives for the moment. They have no self-control. They're just partying all the time. They're carefree. They're not thinking about the future. And the description of this person is this drunkard, drowsy person. That means he's always just sleepy all the time. He's lazy. He's a glutton. This is not who you want to be with. And because if you, you know, bad company grows good morals, and sometimes that's what leads you to try to take some of their, their lifestyle choices. This type of person, this, this short-sighted person is always self-absorbed. All he cares about is pleasure. He doesn't think about the consequences. Don't be a friend that doesn't think ahead. When you think about being a good friend, you need to, you need to be a friend that thinks more than just the immediate moment because you want to encourage other people to think of eternal things. The person that's only focused on pleasure and fun will only try to seek other things once that one pleasure is over. Don't be like that kind of friend, because that's what makes a terrible friend. 
Nothing about this kind of person speaks about sanctification or godliness or anything that's pleasing to the Lord. And if that's you, if you're always thinking about what the next exciting thing is or the type of lifestyle that's just fun and exciting, understand that that won't last long. Eventually, it's just, it's just, it's not just like, oh, it's not, it's, it makes feel cool at the moment, but eventually it's kind of weird, you know, because it seems like the person just never grows up. Yet it may be nice to be in the in crowd that are reckless and just living for the moments, but there are many people that I've encountered that, that have wrecked their own lives. And you see that they'll say things like, oh, it's just, it's just, I just, I just went with the wrong crowd. A bad friend is short-sighted and often makes you think about the temporal. If you want to be a good friend, you want to have someone that think about eternal things, that causes you to think about the eternal, to make you look towards the heavenly things and not to focus on the things below. You can't be a good friend if all you think about is the moment. That's a short-sightedness. All good friends point to the eternal. All good friends encourage people to think about long-term things. All, the, all good friends are trying to encourage people, hey, this is not a good idea. Maybe we should not do this because in the long run, it will have these uh, damaging effects in your life and your walk with the Lord. That's what a good friend is. A terrible friend would just say, hey, let's just go and party. Let's just go do all of these things for the sake of the moment. Again, I'm not saying you can't enjoy life. I'm preaching to Ecclesiastes. I'm saying you should enjoy life. But just understand that there's a balance here. That if you are constantly focused on the moment, if you're all you think about is pleasure, that you'll find yourself alone because eventually people will grow out of it. Next, a terrible friend is someone that's evil or they're wicked, that they always do sinful type things. That's just what they, that, that's what, what drives them. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 20, he who has a crooked mind finds no good, and he who is perverted in his language falls into evil. A bad friend does not seek for holiness for other people. They're only thinking about sinful things, and they want other people to join them. And you can tell if a person is wicked by the things that they talk about. I wonder if you ever, uh, wonder, if you ever try to think about the things that you talk about to other people. You know, have you ever like just step back and think, what is it that I like to talk about the most? You know, is it something like, oh, I like like some sort of pleasure or even like immoral things? Because sometimes people joke about things, but you have to wonder, are they really serious or is just a joke? Because even a joke can be a sin because it comes from a wicked heart. You know you're a bad friend or you're with a bad friend when that person makes you more worldly as opposed to making you more godly. A bad friend is someone that makes you less holy. A bad friend seeks to do evil. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of the evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. And they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what, what they stumble. A bad friend is always people that brings other people down. And you have to be mindful, is that you? When you think about your life and the people that you've encountered, do you find yourself wanting to just encourage them to do some sort of sinful thing? Even if it's, I think in our day and age, it may not be sinful, or it's very subtle in what the sin is. 
I find that in our day and age, the, the danger is actually Christian liberties. You know, we say, oh, this movie is not bad. The Bible doesn't say uh, it's bad. Oh, why can't I uh, watch this movie? Or, or certain things like, oh, well, the Bible says this is okay to drink. Don't, just don't get drunk. Or they make all these Christian liberties. And oftentimes, these Christian liberties are escape. It's like, also like a little like, excuse that we make to go into sin. Right? Like we, we say, oh, the Bible doesn't say it, so therefore it's okay. But you know, a lot of people struggle with sin, but we say, it's okay. You just, just, just do this. Just enjoy this because the Bible doesn't have, say anything against it. But they're not encouraging holiness. You, you want to be a friend that encourages people to strive for excellence in terms of their godliness. You, can t- you want to encourage them to be more like Christ in every sense of the word. Again, there are subtleties and, and sins that we have in our life that we, we almost kind of encourage, you know? You know, we talk about work when you, and they're gossiping, yet we don't check them on go- when they gossip or slander about their coworkers. That's a sin. You want to encourage them to say, hey, I noticed that in your life, some, you, you tend to grumble a lot about your work. Or, or, hey, I noticed that in the way that you talk about the sister is very unedifying. Or whatever, whatever the case may be. A wicked person will keep stirring those things on. They will encourage that type of sinful behavior. But a good and godly friend is always going to try to encourage people to, to put off sin and put on Christ. You want to be a friend that helps people pursue holiness instead of wicked things. You don't want to be the one that causes another to stumble. Because remember what Jesus said. If there's anyone that causes these little ones to stumble, it's better that they have a, 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 a rock that's tied to an egg and thrown into the ocean than to cause these little ones to stumble. Don't be that friend that causes people to fall into sin. Not only that a wicked friend is a bad friend, but also a divisive friend. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28. A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. The person is a slander, and their goal is to separate close friends. Christians are called for unity. Christians are called to seek uh, to, to to keep that unity that we have because we have been in Christ. And people that strive to try to divide the church, they're wicked people. He or she does not have desire or the mind of God if they choose to separate people in the church. And I know that, you know, again, it's very subtle in our church and just in church in general. We may not overtly say like, hey, we're all, we should make a, a group, a clique, and then like separate them. Uh, or like, we're not as like, overt about it. But I do think that sometimes I made the, refer- the word click, and that sometimes we're, we show this type of favoritism that, that, that slowly divides the church. I'll only hang out with these people because they're in a certain life stage, or I'll only hang out with these people because they have a certain type of job, or I'll only hang out with people in the church if they are, and you fill in whatever preference you have, or I'll only let certain people be in my life if they are the certain way. And that shows a, a kind of divisiveness because you're not saying that you're united in Christ, but rather you're united in whatever your preferences are. And you find that God in the New Testament, or Jesus speaks very poorly against those who try to divide the church. In our day, especially now with all this COVID-19 and mandates of this and that, it can be very, I mean, it's very, very polarizing in the world, but it shouldn't be in the church. Yes, even between us here, with our different opinions on how we need to operate things, but those things in the long run, in the span of eternity, it doesn't matter. 
do the thing that unites the church better. And if, if it's just, it requires you to die to yourself. You understand, like, okay, this, in the long run, yeah, who cares about the mask? Who cares about the vaccines? If it, if it causes, if it allows people to meet and, and we can be a good testimony, yeah, just wear the mask or, or do the vaccine, whatever. If your conscience allows you to do those things, then go for it. But don't be angry at those that chooses not to do what you want. You know, oh, why can't everyone do this? Or why can't we have this ministry? You know, these are all ways in which you're trying to divide the church. Really, people that are divisive are very proud people because they assume that they know what's best. And you know, Proverbs here says that, that this, is a, this is someone that, that is, is wicked. It's not good to cause division between close friends. But yet that's what they strive to do. Right? This is known as a perverse man in Proverbs 16.20. He's known as just someone that's just twisted in his mind. All he cares about is just the drama of it all. They're just a pugnacious people. A bad friend seeks to divide every friendship in your life. And you look at your life, do you find yourself always making, you know, just being very argumentative and making people choose sides? If you're going to hang with me, then I'm not going to hang with you. That sounds very childish because it is childish. And as adults and as Christians, as we mature, we should strive for unity. But the bad friend is always going to find ways to cause strife between other believers. And one way people do that is gossiping, right? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. He who goes about a tale bearer reveals secret, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. I remember when I was young in school, people were like, okay, I have something I tell you, don't tell anybody, right? I mean, some of you guys remember that. Some of you guys might still be doing that. But you know, it's like, oh, oh I have a crush on someone, don't tell anyone. And the next thing you know, like after like whatever period everyone knows, that that's a terrible friend. I don't think we do that as much now, but at least I hope not, uh, I hope that you've grown out of that. But there are a sense in which if, if, you, if someone is confiding in you something that is personal, you need to be, and to say, hey, can, can, I need to talk to you about this. You're the only one person I can share it to. Can I just tell you and you promise me you won't tell anyone? You have to say yes, okay, I'll promise and I won't tell anyone about this. You, you're, you wanna be a man of your word. A gossip is someone that just, okay, let me tell you something about so-and-so that you need to know about. No, they don't need to know about it. And if, if you're the one hearing the gossip, from a brother and sister, you need to call them out. Say, hey, I, I don't need to know this because that's not pleasing to the Lord. When you're telling me things that, you know, I mean, gossip is essentially something that you'll say behind their back that you wouldn't say to their face. So if you want to be a good friend, you, you kill that sin. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19. He who goes about a slander reveals secret. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. You know, if, there's a, if you are someone that's, untrustworthy, eventually you'll find that people will not want to be around you because they can't trust you. James chapter 4 verse 11 tells us not to speak against their brother. And again, the picture here is about a family and, and it's this, word, this kind of family picture is in play here. And when you, do you understand that when you speak negatively about someone, you're essentially attacking someone in your own family. We should be more guarded and protective in the way that we talk about one another or talk about people. Do you realize that gossiping and slandering about one another is, is a grave sin against the Lord because you're essentially speaking about the bride of Christ. You're, you're talking down to the bride of Christ, the bride that Christ died for and paid for. How often would you be if, I mean, how, how offended would you be if someone insulted your spouse? I remember when I was in college, I was with another guy, and he was like, he asked his elder, like, so is it okay if, so, if we like drop kick a guy in the face if they make fun of our wives? 
because you know, we'll turn over the cheek. And, and it's funny because the pastor in one sermon basically answered a question by saying that, yeah, you could totally drop kick someone in the face if, if they make fun of your wife. Now, I wouldn't know what I would do, but I will defend my wife's honor. Um, don't, don't try it, please, don't try it. But you understand if someone made fun of your spouse or gossip about your spouse, you'd be super offended. But yet when it comes to the bride of Christ, we tend to like to talk negatively about the people of God, forgetting the fact that, hey, this, is per- this person is made in the image of God, and that person has value because Christ purchased them with their blood, with his blood. We need to be more mindful in the way we talk about and to one another, whether it's in front of the person or behind their back, because it is offensive to the Lord. It offends him to see people attack one another. And some of you may be known as a gossip, and this is probably an area that you need to repent of. And what makes a bad friend is someone that just gossips all the time. They have nothing else to talk about except for other people. That's all they think about, just how they can find the newest, it's almost like a tabloid in the church kind of thing. People just like to talk about other people. But that shows a lack of maturity, and it shows that you're not a good friend. You want to be a terrible friend, essentially just live in sin. All the things I've listed are actually just sins. If you want to be a good friend and see yourself having these, if you want to be a good friend, you want to not have these characteristics. You want to have the opposite of those things. You don't want to be someone that is uh, constantly over-reliant on other people. You want to be someone that's, that cares for other people. You don't want to be lazy. You want to be a hard worker because it's evident in the way that you care for other people. You want to be divisive. You, want, you don't want to be divisive. Rather, you want to be help people unite. You don't want to be a gossip. You're not an angry person. You're a peaceful, uh, you're a peaceful person. That these are all good things because they reflect our Savior. Biblical friendships can't happen if you have these flaws in your life. Now, I'm not saying that you guys all have these things. I know I struggle with some of these things as well. And I know that there are areas that I need to repent of. So this is, we're all in this together. So we grow and be good friends or brothers and sisters in the faith. So this is not me judging. I'm just saying that we're on the same boat together. Just studying, reading, studying Proverbs this week was very convicting for me. Um, because I realized like, yeah, I have these shortcomings as well. And I am asking the Lord for grace so that I can be a better friend or a better husband or a, brother, or a better brother to you all. But there again, there's always grace. If you realize that this is the area we work on, then ask the Lord for grace to grow in these areas. Now let's go to the opposite. Now we start with the negative, let's go to the positive. Again, some of you have these positives. I want to encourage you to excel still more. Some of you guys might be lacking it, and that's okay. Just work on it. So what makes a good brother or sister in the faith, or what makes a good friend? First, is there someone that's loyal? They're loyal. Proverbs 17 Verse 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This is one of the, one of the coolest attributes of a great friend or a good brother or sister in faith, is that they are loyal. If you want to do a word study of the word all, the time, all time, you'll find that in Hebrew, it means all time. It means that they're always loyal. This is just their attributes. Um, it's, in fact, in the Hebrew, it's in the first, you know, the first position. It's like the first words you see mean that this, this is important that in all times that they're known for their loyalty. A true and loyal friend is someone that expresses love through this unselfish action. A good friend is not just a friend during those good times. They're not the, the wear, the fair weather type friends. Right? People come that only in your life when things are good, but they leave when things are bad. A good friend is a loyal friend, and a good friend is a reliable friend. There's a phrase 
the interesting phrase I hear that I find in Proverbs 17, 7 that's very cool is that a brother is born for adversity. And I think this means that a friend that sticks through those hard times, eventually their heart will be knit to the other person. And what you'll find is that they will be like a brother to you during those very difficult times. Your friend, as you, if, they, as you, if you see them love you consistently, you'll find that hey, they are really like a brother to me. It is assumed that your family will always stay with you, but for friends to stay strong with you, and those times they eventually become like family. And I know some of you guys have those people in your life, and you see that, and you, and you are so thankful that they are so loyal to you. And the good times and the bad times at all times, they're, so, they're, they're devoted to you as a friend. The good friends is there all the time. Have you ever had those moments where your friends do something stupid in public, and you're just kind of like, oh, you just kind of cringe, and like, you're embarrassed, like, oh, I'm not associated with this guy. We'll take separate tabs, or, oh, I don't know this guy when I've gone to the Uber. You know, like, you're embarrassed by this person. That's not loyalty. You know, it's just, okay, I'm denying this person. That's, that's not a sign of loyalty there. That's just, you're just embarrassed by them. You know, you understand, like, when you, if you're loyal to them, it doesn't matter how embarrassing they are. You still love them. You'll still stay close to them because that's how you are, your loyal friend. Are you a loyal brother and sister? Are you the kind of person that's willing to make sacrifices for your brothers and sister? And again, in our day and age, cancel culture reveals that there aren't that many friendly people out there, right? Like that's what cancel culture is like. Oh, you need to disconnect yourself from those people. They need to be by themselves, kind of like castrated and be like treated like a leper out in society. That's the world, but that shouldn't be the church. We should be loyal to one another. If you're a friend, if you have, if you have friends in your life, you need to be loyal to them. Now, this doesn't mean that you turn like, okay, I need to be loyal to them so that I'm going to just let go of all, not see all their sins. No, loyal and good friends are always going to point out the, uh, is always going to point out those sins in hopes that they can be more Christ-like. A loyal friend, a good friend, strives for what's best for the other person. They stick through it through the hard times by encouraging them to, to uh, day in and day out. Are you someone that will truly stay around even when it's hard to be friends with that person? If you're willing to stay with them, that shows that you are a loyal friend. That's what you want to be. A good friend is a loyal friend. Second, another attribute of a good friend is that they give counsel. They give godly counsel. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. This is very dark kind of contrast here. Faithful, the wounds of a friend. That's, that's hard to swallow, right? To just say, like, if your friend comes up to you and says, hey, I, I, I need to talk to you about something. And you sit down and, like, they're telling you about some sin that they see in your life or, you know, you're not doing the things that are pleasing to the Lord. That's a very hard thing to do for the person that's telling you that. It's hard, it's hard to hear, yes, but it's hard for the person telling this to you. But that shows you that they are a faithful friend because they want to look out for you. They want to see what's best for, your, for you. And even if you don't see it, you should be very concerned if, the, if your friend never confronts you on anything. Because it says here in the passage, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It means it's something that's like pleasurable. Right? Kisses, like, oh yeah, they're, they're my friends. But if your friend never confronts you on any sin whatsoever, you have to wonder, like, either I'm like Jesus perfect or they're lying to me. Because there's no way that they claim to be good friends. They don't see your flaws. A loyal friend confronts and gives counsel to you. You want to be that. You want to be that friend that loves them to point out the things that they need to work on in their life. And you want to be the friend that also receives correction as well. 
because you understand, okay, this friend loves me enough to be able to confront me. Prov- uh, jump down to verse 9. Oil and perfume makes the heart glad. So is a man's counsel sweet to his friend. Psalm here is willing to write about what, how pleasant and nice-scented perfume is. I don't know how many people of you use perfume, but you understand it's like, you know, there are things that just pleasant smell, smelling. It makes a person joy, enjoy being with you. He makes this parallel between those that smell good to those that are wise and give good counsel. Good counsel is pleasant, and it makes people drawn to you. So this isn't, there's a way in which you confront people that you talk about sin that's not supposed to be like, I mean, yes, you should do it, but you need to do it in a way that's loving. You know, speak the truth in love. This verse, this verse speaks of godly and wise counsel. Well, why do these people give counsels? Because they care. They love you. This assumes that you do have some relationship with them. So don't be like Job's friends. You know, they give dumb counsel. Like the, Job's friends have the spiritual gift of discouragement. Like the best moments was when they were silent for a few days. That was like the best thing that they had to offer, you know. You want to be the friend that gives wise counsel. There is the one friend, Ellie, uh, Ellie Hughes. He's the good friend. He's the one who gives the godly, wise counsel. You want to be like that friend, the one that's willing to confront sin because you care about the other person. You'll need to find that there are people in your life that you want to learn from. The moment that they speak, it's as if something, it may be, be hard to hear, but it's still pleasant because you know it's good for your soul. You want to be that type of friend that when you give counsel, it helps them. Someone that's discerning and loving enough to give you counsel from God's word that helps you grow in Christ-likeness. You want to tell people from God's word what is right and what is wrong. You want to be a blessing with your words. This is a familiar passage again, the same chapter, Proverbs 27, verse 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is this basic idea that when you're each other's lives, you need to build one another up. If you want to be a good friend, the way that you must build them up, strengthen them, or empower them is, if, is, is just through your words. Tell them how where their shortcoming is. That's what makes you a good friend. And if you have non-believing friends, the most loving thing you can do is tell them about the gospel. I mean, I, I don't know how many of you have ever shared the gospel to your non-believing friends, and have they, and if they thanked you for it. I've had that experience. Like, hey, man, I love you. I know you don't believe the Bible, but I need to tell you these things because I know that the Bible is true, and your rejection of it would mean these things because the Bible says so. And even though it's a hard thing to hear, they know that you love them because you know what you want what's best for them. They may not get it, they may not understand it, but at least they can see that there's a genuineness in your life that you're willing to say something hard to them. And if that's true for non-believing friends, you're believing friends as well. You have to be willing to tell them and give them the, the hard news because you know it's best for them. You need to give corrections lovingly. Um, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Proverbs 15, verse 23. A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. And that's very important, a timely word. You need to discern if your friend is ready to hear your counsel. You know, if they're weeping, you want to weep with them. You don't want to confront them when they're weeping because they're already kind of down. That makes you a bad friend. That's like the Job's friend type of thing. But when they're asking you questions, you want to be able to answer and speak the truth in love. And you have to find the right time. You have to do it at some point. 
you know, you might, some people might need time, you know, they get off work, they're tired, uh, maybe that's not the best time, maybe when they're better, when they're more, um, you know, lucid and have a little bit of rest or food, then, okay, they're more receptive to what you have to say. That's, there's a wisdom in that, and, that's, and, that has, and you have to know what works best for your relationship with your friend. A good friend is going to confront sin, they're gonna have to figure out when, but they're gonna do it because they love the other person. Proverbs 25, verse 11, like apples, of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstance. So you have to be wise in the way you confront. Don't be the guy that just thinks that you're like the Holy Spirit police and just attack everyone. My daughter is like that recently. She's like confronting us on all of our sins. It's because we're telling her about her sins and she's like, okay, daddy, you need to stop talking to me like that. I was like, oh, because that's how I'm like, that's like, I tell her, you need to stop talking back to me. And then later on, a few days later, she's like, daddy, you need to stop talking back to me. It's like, okay, okay, this is, Okay, this game real now. <laughs> but you know, there's a timing to it, and there's a, and you need to figure out what a right way and when to say it. And in and, and the right circumstances, at the right timing, your counsel could be the thing that brings them out of sin or brings them to a place of just depression to joy. Moving on, um, I know we're a little running a little bit longer than usual, but purity. The, a good friend is someone that's pure. Proverbs 21, verse. Eight, the way, the way of a guilty man is crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. There are two parallel characteristics here. A person that's crooked is crooked and someone that's upright. Those are the two people. How a person reacts is completely based on who they are. Those that are guilty, they will, they will do things that are wicked and crooked. The word crooked just means strange or immoral. Contrast that to a pure person, and it's actually interesting, the translation is upright. I think the, it would be interesting because the word means straight. So I thought that would be a cool parallel because, like, oh, there's a crooked and then this person's straight. It makes this idea that, like, hey, a good person, a good friend, their path is straight because they're pure at heart. Proverbs 22, verse 11, it reads, he who loves a purity heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. So again, a person with a pure heart will speak in such a way that is actually good because that's what's, that's because they have a transformed heart. There's this renewed um, heart. Jesus said, out of, out of the outflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. A person that has pure heart, meaning they speak with what is good, that means that their heart is good, they, will have, they can make friends in high places, even with people like kings, because they'll see that, okay, this person genuinely is speaking truth. They're not trying to do anything out of an ulterior motive. They really do care. And this is where I think a lot of confusion comes in in, term, in this type of context with a single, in a singles ministry. Some people, when they interact with other people, it's very obvious that their motive is not clear because their attention is not really there, right? You're talking to someone, they're kind of like not making eye contact, they're looking for someone else to talk to, they just kind of feign interest in you. That's not a good friend. You want to have a pure at heart. Some people, especially when people try to talk with people on the, the, of the opposite gender, there's a tendency, I, I only talk to a certain type of person, you know, some, oh, the cute person, the attractive person, the funny, funny person. You, you make these distinctions, that's not, and you only want to talk to those people because you're selfishly trying to get something from them. That's not pure at heart, and you can hide it. You can trick all the people around you, but the Lord sees that, and the Lord sees that as favoritism. And James chapter two talks about the dangers of, of playing favorites. Like, well, there's a rich person, I'm gonna let them sit in the front. If you're a poor person, you're gonna sit away far from me. The Lord is not pleased when we, should, when we are impure hearts with our relationships. You wanna be someone that genuinely is interested in other people because you care about them. That's what makes a good friend, someone that's pure at heart, someone that thinks 
beyond themselves, that always there in the moment and cares for the other person. It's easy to interact with people with an impure motive because no one else will know except for God. And that should be the thing that scares us. That the fact that God knows that the reason why we're inter interacting with this person was an impure motive, whatever it may be, that's sinful to the Lord. Character and deeds match more often than they do not. And we're called by God to love without hypocrisy. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 9. The way you treat one another in this context should be pure. Because if you are a new if you are a believer, you should be pure at heart. The Lord has given you a new heart. And the way that you care for people should be the way Christ, like the way Christ does. He's always, he's always focused on the other people. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Wise is one of them. And the Proverbs speaks a lot about be, having wisdom and trying to gather wisdom. And you want to be a friend that's wise. That means you have to first acquire wisdom and then be a wise friend for other people. But for, for the sake of time, I want to go jump down to just two more. Forgiving. A good friend is someone that forgives. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred serves up strife, but love covers all transgression. A good friend knows how to forgive sin. This isn't to say like, oh, you put, you, you're not like the, fulfilling the role of, of like God in that way, but you're willing to let things go. Again, this isn't saying that you turn a blind eye when, and not confront sin, which just means that you know to let things go. When if you're offended, you know how to cover it. This is this idea of pardoning. It means to overlook this personal harm that they've done. If you're with someone long enough, you'll find that eventually this other person will sin against you in some way. And it can be something small or something great, but a good friend is someone that is, especially if they're you know, brothers, sisters in the faith, understands that Christ forgives. And he gives us chance after chance, and that's what we need to be as well. The reason why there are church conflicts and church splits is because people won't let things go. They want that sin to be, uh, they want to remember that person for all the harm that they've done to them. They aren't willing to forgive. But yet this is how God is to us, isn't it? He forgave us. He's always uh, caring. He's always forgiving. No matter how many times we fall into the same sins over and over and over and over again, God is still so kind in forgiving us. If you want to be a good friend, forgiveness must be one of your character attributes. And it's been said that you are, you're, you're the most like God when you're willing to forgive other people. And if that's true, that must be in your life as well. If people hurt you, if your friends hurt you, if your brother or sister hurt you, be willing to quick, be quick to forgive people. And I think that will be good for not just for you, because that's what Christ wants, expects of you, but it's, it's good in terms of the way that fosters a testimony of, of love and grace that we have towards one another. And lastly, a good friend is someone who has self-control. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Like a city that's broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Back during that times of war, and I, I think I, when we think about walls now, we have different negative connotations, but they're, and back then, especially during times of war, walls are important because if they're gone, then the city is defenseless. And anyone who lacks self-control is just like that. They're defenseless uh, because their behavior lacks knowledge and understanding, which makes them vulnerable to every kind of impulse. Uh, someone that has self-control is a sign of a mature person, and that's someone that you want to be as well. You have self-control. You're willing to say, hey, it's, it's, it's Saturday night. We have church tomorrow. Let's, you know, hey, let's just go home and like, rest so we go to church tomorrow. 
uh, or, or self-control someone that, that say, hey, we need to, uh, I think we've had enough time doing whatever uh, extracurriculars and, you know, just, just go back to work. You know, you're not someone that just fosters just being impulsive. This is the opposite of that friend, you know, the one that's like unreliable. Someone has self-control. That's what you, you want to be that friend. You want to encourage people to have that. You want to be moved by the Holy Spirit, not by your impulses. And someone that can only do that in the faith is someone that's filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to be a good friend. You want to, you want to be someone that has self-control. You know, I, I joke about how there's like, oh, that friend that's so embarrassing. Sometimes, yeah, those people are embarrassing because they have, you know, they, don't, they lack that self-control. And, and I, think, I, I think there's a tendency in our culture to try to find scientific labels for everything. Right, like, oh, this person's loud. Oh, he must be extroverted. No, that's not biblical terms here. Whether you're loud, like the Proverbs tell us that there's a time and season to say certain things that there's things that you have self-control in. That's not a, just because you're, you're, you're prone to be more outgoing. That doesn't mean that you can be all the time. That's just excuse for you to do whatever you want, to not have self-control. On the flip side, an introvert's the same way. Right, like I, I don't want to talk to anyone because I'm an introvert. Well, no, that just means you have no self-control. Your body tells you what to do as opposed to what the scriptures tell you. You're not, you're not thinking about who your master is. Your master is not your impulses or your preferences or whatever, you know, introvert, extrovert, whatever society defines. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, so there will be times where you need to have, you know, don't speak too much, and there will be times when you need to speak up. That's someone that has self-control over their spirits. If you want to be a good friend, you need to have self-control. So that means you know, okay, this is not an appropriate time to say certain things, or okay, this is an appropriate time to speak up. That is someone that has self-control. If you want to be a good friend, these are the things I've listed. Essentially what I've been, been describing is, a, is our Savior. We're descri I'm describing Jesus here. Jesus is a friend to sinners, and there is no friend quite like our Savior. Jesus is willing to lay down his life for his friends, and if we are Jesus' friends, he said that we, are, we will follow his command. We show our friendship with God and the way that we cherish the friends that God has given us in our life. Learn from the chief of friends on how you can be a good friend to others around you. A good friend is willing to lay down his life for his friend, and that's what Jesus did for us, and that's what we should be willing to do for other people. A good friend reflects Jesus. It takes a lot of work to get there. That's the process of sanctification, but you can be a blessing to your brothers and sisters around you if you are more Christ-like. Some of you have great friends, and you and you should be very thankful for them. Your friends are a kindness and a gift to you from the Lord, and be thankful for each and every single one of them that they're willing to be friends with you, not like, knowing that, especially for yourself, you know how sinful you are and how undeserving you are to have friends. Be thankful to the Lord that you have them. And sadly, some of you are a bad friend. You look at this list and you, and you exhibit these things, and really the only thing that you need is my only exhortation to you is, is to, to see this as an opportunity to learn and to repent of those things. Put off those things and put on Christ-likeness. On a side note, however, in a dating series, you have to understand that these things are what makes a good spouse as well. You know, this list, good or bad, it's only amplified, it's only magnified, and it's only enlarged when you're married. So if you're a lazy person, it's going to show very obviously to obvious to your spouse when you're married you may fake that for a while but it's going to be obvious that you're very lazy but at the same time if you are a very kind person it will be shown how kind you are in the context of marriage 
So I'm not saying like, oh, prepare for marriage, but I'm just saying that work on these now in your singleness, because if the Lord provides you a spouse, these things will just be amplified. Your spouse will see you as either a very good friend, a very good spouse, or a terrible spouse, or a bad friend. These characteristics should cause us to pursue Christ and pursue our biblical friends in a way that is honoring to him. Because we, again, we are a family of God, and there are ways in which we could pursue biblical friendships biblically that will be edifying, encouraging, and building up one another for the glory of God. Bow with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us and what a good friend is in your son, Jesus Christ, who came and sacrificed and was so patient, um, so loving to those that did not deserve it. And to us, Lord, your kindness to us is what led us to repentance. And I ask that for us, as we think about our friends that are in this church, our, our family here, that we love in a way that reflects you. And Lord, help us grow in this area. We have, all of us here have things that we need to work on. None of us are perfect. And Lord, please fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can be that good brother and sister, that we can look at one another with pure motives and always want to build each other up so that we can um, build each other up to be more like your son. Or help us in our shortcomings. And we even confess our sins to you if, our, if there are motives that are impure, Lord. Help us honor you, not just this day, not just this week, but until we see you, Lord. Thank you for the time we have in your son's precious name. Amen.